Most women want to be good mothers, don't they? Those who have children anyway. There are some mothers, however, who, who strive to be great mothers. Maybe that was you. Maybe you set out with ambitious plans that uh, all these other mothers are mediocre. But I'm going to be the mom. I, I'm going I'm to set the gold standard for motherhood. Well, well, it's not a bad thing to want to be a good mother. It's not a bad thing to want to be a great mother. But I want to argue today and hopefully convince you that more than being a good mother, more than being a great mother, that what is most needed for your children and for this world is godly motherhood. For you to be a godly mother. It is interesting, though, what what it takes to make a godly mother. Because if you open the pages of Scripture and begin to look in there, you find, for instance, in, in the book of Matthew, you find an interesting lineage of Jesus. The lineage is, that is his family tree, as you begin to look back. And you find a couple of interesting names among those listed in Jesus' family tree. And one of those was a woman named Rahab. Now, some of you, when you hear Rahab, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others are thinking, what a strange name for a woman. Rahab, who was she? She was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho. And when God said that we're going to go in and take this city, uh, you know, they, they sent two spies in. And this woman saw the spies, hid the spies believed in the Lord, and she alone out of the city of Jericho was saved. Isn't that amazing? Rahab, though, was a prostitute. And we find a prostitute in the family tree of Jesus. And you thought you had some strange ones in your family tree, didn't you? That's not the only thing we find in the family tree of Jesus. Her name is not mentioned. She's just mentioned as the wife of Uriah. We know her as Bathsheba. Bathsheba is in the lineage of Jesus. Who was Bathsheba? Well, certainly she was the mother of Solomon, but prior to that, Bathsheba was married to a guy named Uriah. She and King David, who was also married and not to her, had an affair And then David schemed to kill her husband off so he could marry her. So now we have both a prostitute and an adulteress in the family tree of Jesus. What does that show us? Because when you look in here, what you're going to see is not only imperfect women, believe me, but there's a bunch, there's more imperfect men than imperfect women in that tree listed. But what you're going to discover is That the perfect Savior of the world did not have perfect lineage. That imperfect women and men were all used by God to bring about the birth of the perfect Savior. Now, without exception, well, with the exception of Jesus himself, God has to work through imperfect people. Why? Anybody know? Because we're all qualified for that task, aren't we? We're all imperfect people. So if God's going to use people at all, he's going to have to use imperfect people because that's really all he's got to work with. Our goodness, our goodness is tainted by sin and by 
selfish motives or mixed motives. We were just talking about that this morning. Um, you know, uh, guys, you did something, hopefully, for your wives or mothers today. Um, you, you maybe fixed, got fixed breakfast, let them sleep late, breakfast in bed, whatever. Listen, you did that out of the goodness of your heart, but you also did it for at least two other reasons. Number one, because if you didn't do it, excuse me for saying this, there would be hell to pay this afternoon. Okay, there's a price to pay for not doing that. And so self-preservation. Now, you did it because you love your wife. You love your mother. You want to do this because this is... But I'm telling you, you did it partly out of self-preservation. And the other part was because you didn't want to look bad. You have a reputation. And therefore, you don't want to get around the next time you're in your grace group or the next time you're out with friends and your wife or your mother at that point says, well, let me tell you about Mother's Day. At my house, you've got a reputation. So even when you do good things, your goodness is tainted by mixed motives. Am I right? I think so. And what about your greatness? The things that you, you strive for, the things that you achieve most, even that is tainted with failure. Goodness tainted with sin. Greatness tainted with with failure. And yet God chooses to use people just like that to do great things for his kingdom. And mothers, though their influence has often been overlooked and underappreciated, are a vital part of the plan of God. You who look at yourself in the mirror and go, I am an imperfect mother. You're right, but you are a vital part of the plan of God. Now, how do I know that? Because way back in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the first couple, Adam and Eve. And God gives them really only two instructions. One is, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the other was, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. What does that imply? It implies that Adam and Eve will at some point move from the husband-wife relationship to a father and mother relationship. From the very outset, we see God established the family. And the family included the father and the mother raising these children. Now, again, perfect world, right? We don't live in a perfect world, and so we've got quite a few variations out there. But this was God's original plan. The husband and wife becoming the father and mother, bringing children into the world raising the next generation. And so let me give you kind of the goal of parenting. The goal of parents should not be simply to raise good children, that is, those who are well-mannered, well-behaved. Nor should it simply be to raise great children, those who achieve in academics, in athletics, in, in, in the arts, in business. But instead, the goal of godly parents should be to raise godly Children, And this morning, I want to take a few minutes to focus, is particularly on this Mother's Day, on godly mothers. Now, raising godly children in an ungodly world is not easy. There are so many things that work against you. There are forces that are attempting to grab your children and to take them places you don't want them to go. Some of those forces are outside your control. 
Some of those things happen outside the house, out in the world, as your children go out and about, and you literally, in that sense, are defenseless to do anything. But as mothers, you do have some say in what influences your children. You can control the television remote. If you can't control the television remote over your children, I would suggest you unplug the TV first and then snip the wiring in the back. Please do it in that order. If you can't control it any other way, snip the wires. Because you are in control. You must be. There are so many forces trying to grab your children. You've got to do what you can to create the safe environment so that they can hear truth, receive truth, and be changed by truth rather than hearing lies, receiving lies, and being changed by lies. It's not just enough to raise good kids. Our call as children of God is to raise godly children. And so it requires an investment of time and energy and heart in raising children who will make a kingdom impact in the world. It begins in their schools. And, and I hear this. this is, it cheers my heart when I hear a parent come up to me and say, listen, let me tell you what my son or my daughter did in school today. You know, there was a tragedy, and my child said we need to pray. Or my child actually witnessed to another child, told him about Jesus on the playground. Do you know how much that that thrills my heart? And I celebrate with those parents because those parents are doing something right. Those children are taking their influence into their schools. And when they grow older, they begin to take their influence into their family and into their place of work. They become children of influence. Your children will influence people. But how will they influence them? For the kingdom or not? How do you want them to influence them? How do you raise godly children in in an ungodly world? I want to share with you just three truths this morning that were in abundance from which to pick. But these three biblical truths that I think may help you, moms, as you think about raising godly children in an ungodly world. And the first truth is this. You will never pass on to your children what you yourself do not possess. Think about it. Your children cannot get from you what you don't have. And God's Word gives us some great examples of mothers who passed on, parents who passed on to their children a godly legacy. Now, I want to point you to one that um, may be a little obscure. It's actually in a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And, and what Paul wrote to Timothy was this. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then we'll skip over to chapter 3. And this is what he says. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Listen, to pass on a legacy of faith, you must be a person of faith. And I'm not talking about a shallow, half-hearted, part-time commitment to Jesus, but one that affects every aspect of your lives. And so I need to take a moment and let's just be completely honest and strip off the varnish. And I'm not being accusative, but sometimes you just need to hear it. You know it, but you need somebody to confirm it. And so maybe this is the confirmation you need. If you are watching trash TV at your home, if you're reading trash magazines in your home, if your speech is laced with cursing, and you are constantly criticizing and complaining, if you are living openly in a way that is contrary to the will of God, and you yourself are not making Jesus and his church a priority in your life, do not be surprised if your kids don't think anything of Jesus or his church and just walk away. Now, you can do all those things right and your children still walk away. But if you are creating an environment where you say one thing and do another, if you're creating an environment where you talk about Jesus and you talk about God, but your lifestyle is so completely contrary to that, they don't have to be that old to figure it out. They need to see that there's a real Jesus who makes a real difference in your life then they'll be able to see that there's a real Jesus who can make a real difference in their lives. And not just on Sundays, but in every day of the week. They need to see purity in your relationships. They need to hear grace in your speech. They need to see humility in your actions and faithfulness in your daily walk. Timothy came from such a legacy of faith. Paul said, listen, you've told me about it. You've told me about your grandmother. you told me about your mother. How from the very time you were an infant, They were sharing scriptures with you. That's what this world needs. They need more Loises. They need more Eunices. Parents, from the time your child is a baby, and we have some little babies up here right now, they need to be in your lap. They need to be hearing Bible stories from you. You need to be, well, they're too young. They don't understand it. Hey, listen, they understand a whole lot more than you think they do, first of all. And what you want to do is to create an environment, you want to define normal for them, okay? Because there's a lot of people that are defined normal a lot of different ways. You want to define normal, it's normal to read the Bible at home. It's normal to pray at home. It's normal to serve other people in Jesus' name. It's normal to share the good news of Jesus with other people. It's normal to invite people to church. It's normal to be active, regular attender in church. It's normal to give to the kingdom causes. That's normal. That's our life. But if you want to teach that, you've got to live that. Your children will never get from you what you don't have to give to them. You can't pass on what you don't have. Second truth. If you fail to consistently discipline your children... Don't be surprised if they disobey 
and go astray. Now, again, you can discipline and you can do it all right, and they still go astray. I'm talking on the whole, if you fail to consistently discipline your children, don't be surprised. Some parents are scared to discipline their children. If I discipline my children, then they're going to hate me. And that's exactly the opposite. They may end up hating you because you didn't discipline them when they're sitting behind bars. Proverbs 29.15 says, A child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Now, I joke around a lot, and it is joking, and I'm not serious when I say that part of child rearing should include duct tape and pediatric tasers. Parents can go a bit too far in disciplining their children, but typically, typically, parents don't go far enough or they go, they're very inconsistent with how they discipline. And let me tell you, if you've got two parents in the home, two parents, you don't need to have one being the disciplinarian. That share the responsibility. Put your heads together and say, this is how we're going to approach discipline in our home. And I'd like to give you some hints for how you can discipline perhaps a little bit better. Some of these we've even found worked in our lives. First of all, discipline needs to be consistent. If you are the candy man one day and the belt man the next day, that's not going to work too well with your kids. Your kids need to know there's consistency, that Here's the, here's the rail, here's the fence, here's the guardrail. And it's not going to be here today and here tomorrow and over here the next day. If you're constantly changing the barriers, constantly changing the rules, your children will never get it. It needs to be consistent. Secondly, it needs to be measured. What do I mean by measured? Two things. Number one, you need to know when to stop do not strike your child in anger. Cool down, then figure out how to discipline. It is those times when you strike out in anger that you have to live with regret. Listen, I've been on both the giving and receiving end of discipline done in the heat of the moment. And there's almost always regret on the other side of that, sometimes even worse. So by measured, you need to, you need to have a limit. And the easiest thing to do is to, when you're that angry, wait to discipline. The, the second part of being measured is this. The punishment should fit the crime. If you, you don't want to beat your kid every time they do any little thing wrong. As a matter of fact, beating them in that instance is, is probably it loses all of its effectiveness anyway. And I'm not, some of you parents go, oh, I don't beat my child. That's fine, that's fine. I beat mine. Um, and they turned out okay. I was beaten and I turned out okay. Um, matter of fact, I had one instance where my, my dad had me kind of trapped in the corner and I was crying and he said, son, he said, uh, I'm going to give you something to cry about. And he did. Uh, there was one time he was spanking me, and I said, I'm going to run away from home. And he said, I'll give you something to run away from. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But you need, it, needs to be, it, needs to be, it needs to be measured. Don't lash out in anger. Let the punishment fit the crime. And for Pete's sake, don't threaten what you're not willing to deliver. How many parents, you're on vacation, you're heading down to Disney World. 
If you kids don't be quiet, we're going to turn this car around right now. You know you're not turning that car around. But you think, boy, let me just throw, let me just bring out the big guns and maybe they'll behave. Here's what they learn. My parents threaten things that they don't deliver on. So it needs to be measured. Uh, third, it, it needs to be impartial. If you got, this is where when more than one kid comes in. Now, when I say impartial, it doesn't mean fair. Because one of the first lessons that you need to teach your children is life is not fair. This is not about fairness, but it is about being impartial. If you have one child who gets away with everything and one child who's punished for everything, they will know it. There's a lot of biblical examples that you could look at and and see, for instance, the life of Joseph and his brothers. They weren't treated the same. And it caused a big mess. But there are a lot of examples like that that you can go back and, and look at. And so it, it needs to be impartial, but it also finally needs to be redemptive. The purpose of punishing your child should not be to hear them cry. The purpose to punish them should not be to hurt them. The purpose of punishment and discipline should be a change of behavior. It is redemptive. It is to bring them back to right behavior. So think about that as your discipline. Lots more we could say about it, but we don't have time to do any more. I do want to highlight this because, and and I was hesitant to even bring this up, but I got to tell you, it hit me so hard that I felt that I had to, and that is to deal with the issue of single moms. Some of you are single moms, and and some of you have been single moms, and you have a hard, hard job. It's tough raising kids with two parents in the home, it's really hard being a single mom. And so I admire you that you, you, you step up and you fulfill both these roles of provider and, and you're being mom and dad. And, and it's hard. But I felt like you needed to hear this because it's not a predictor of the future, but it is a description of what our culture looks like. And so I want you to hear these children that are brought up by single moms. If we just look at it. On uh, a statistical basis, are five times more likely to commit suicide, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, ten times more likely to abuse drugs, fourteen times more likely to commit rape, that is, boys, twenty times more likely to end up prison, and thirty-two times more likely to run away from home. Now, if you're a single mom, you're sitting there going, woe is me, for I am undone. I don't have a chance. Yes, you do. Because most of these children, they were brought up by single moms, weren't brought up by godly moms. I've never been good at math. That's why I was trying to add to just figure out what the date was going to be on the 26th. But uh, I did learn one thing in algebra, and only one thing. I passed by doing bulletin boards. Uh, my kids aren't here, so okay, I can say it. Um, and this is what I learned. As long as there were just numbers in the equation, I could figure it out. You know, 3 plus 5 equals 8. Yeah. And, however, in algebra, they decided, for some strange reason, that the alphabet needed to be added to a mathematical equation. 
And so now it would be 8x plus this. I'm going, x? I don't remember that when I was learning one, two, three. There's no place on my fingers or toes to get x. X changes the equation. You toss a variable in there, it changes the whole equation. And that's exactly what happens when you bring Jesus into the parenting role, into the mothering role. It changes everything so that these statistics then for a, for a godly mother, the, the variable of Christ thrown in there changes the outcome. We need to remember that. When we look at statistics like this, it should break our hearts. It should give us pause to really think about what we're doing and raising our children. But it shouldn't lead us to hopelessness because we have the source of hope in Christ. And so uh, with those facts in mind, let me give you single moms a little bit of, 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 of maybe advice. And that is you and your children need to stay connected to church. Stay connected to church. You need it. They need it. Be careful that your lifestyle remains consistent with the kind of life that you want your child to grow up to live. And find faithful prayer partners and a small group of people that you can be honest and open with and share with and they listen to you and love you and hold you accountable. You need it, single moms. Don't neglect it. The third truth is this, and we could say so much more, but third truth is guard your heart. Moms, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart, so guard your heart. And mothers, you are always pouring yourselves out, aren't you? Gosh, I mean, you wake up in the morning, you just start pouring yourself out. You're, you, you have to take care of your kids. You have to get your kids ready. You have to feed your kids. And, and you, dad will help sometimes. Sometimes the best help that dad can do is just get out of the way. Um, you know, not always. You might want to check on that before you take up that, that option. But you're always pouring yourself out in the life of your kids. You're getting them ready. You're, you're, you're running stuff to school that they forgot. You're showing up at everything that's going on at school. You're being, you've, been the, you've been the den mother in Cub Scouts or the class mother or whatever. You know, you're, you're always pouring yourselves out. Make sure what you put in you, make sure what you pour in is honoring for God and sufficient to truly sustain you. You can live on Cheetos and Twinkies, but you will pay the price. Moms, you can live on what the world wants to feed you, but you will pay the price. Because you're constantly pouring out, you need to constantly pour in those things that are good. If you feed on garbage, then that's all you got to pull from. So moms, I want to I give you three things that you need. The first one is you need God's word. I don't have time to read the Bible. You've got to make time for that. You've got to find, way, find ways to get it in. You need go- godly friends. Not just good friends. You need godly friends. You need people who, will, 
People who have permission to say, you know what, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but that's a bad direction to be going. You need those kinds of friends. Those kinds of friends who will confront you, but who are always there for you. Who just don't tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what's true. You need them. And you need a good church. And you say, well, why are you saying that here? <laughs> you know, I'm in church, right? Well, yes, some of you are. And I appreciate you being here. Glad you're here. For the guests, glad you're here. But you need a good church over the long haul. If you don't believe me, there are a number of people in this church who raise their families consistently in church and who would tell you the same thing. I needed it not just when my kids were little. I needed that good church all the way through. If I didn't have that good church all the way through, I'm just not sure what would become of me or my kids. And so moms, you need those things. You need God's words. You need godly friends. You need a good church. And single moms, I have a little more encouragement, advice for you. And, 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 and I want you to listen to these. First of all, beware of the wrong kind of men. There are men out there who will promise you the sun and the moon and the stars. They can't deliver. Beware of those men. Secondly, don't repeat a previous disastrous relationship. Some of you are single because the first person you married, uh, you got the proverbial wolf in sheep's clothing, um, and it was a disaster from the get-go. And you're, now I'm single. Okay. Here's the problem, and I've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Woman A marries man A. Man A is abusive or neglectful or whatever. Woman A divorces man A. Woman A marries man B, who is just like man A. And can't figure out why the second marriage is no better than the first marriage. And so woman A divorces man B and marries man C, who is just like man B, who is just like man A. Now you go, well, who would do that? You obviously don't do any counseling. It happens all the time. Picking the same Guy, he just has a different name. May have a little more money. A different job. But it's the same guy. Be careful. And third, don't be desperate for an intimate relationship. God designed us for that, and so we have it within us. But there's a desperation for, for immediate intimacy. That I need that closeness. I'm missing that closeness. And I need that intimacy. And that intimacy almost always translates to a sexual relationship. Be careful. Which leads us to number four, which is stay sexually pure until you are married. Remember, 
you are teaching your, you're showing your children, this is what I want your life to be when you grow up. So make sure it's what you want them to see. Because what you do is going to be a lot more powerful than what you say. And then finally, make your children your primary responsible after your own spiritual well-being. In other words, if you don't have it in you, you can't give it to them. Well, I need to wrap this up. If, if you're a mom, don't just settle for being a good mom. And don't just settle for being a great mom. Go for being a godly mom. Your children needs it, and the world needs it. And if you're a mom, don't just settle for having good kids. Well, you know, little Johnny came home and he kept his bus on green all day, or whatever the thing is. They, his apple didn't turn brown, or I don't, I don't whatever they do now. I, I, I don't know. Um, all I know is it was either for me a ruler or a paddle. But, you know, whatever. But little Johnny, you know, and, and I'm, you know, he's, he's passing and he's not getting in any trouble. That's good. But it's not where you need little Johnny to be. And don't just settle for raising great kids. Oh, my child, I've got the bumper stick. My child is an honor student at such and such school. My child is in the beta club. My child is the star athlete. My child is, is you know, this, that, or the other thing. Don't, you don't want to just settle for your child being the star, being great. That's, that's really cool, and I'm happy for you. But good children and great children are not what the kingdom needs. The kingdom needs godly children. And if your child gets all C's, and barely graduates, if your child never becomes an executive, never becomes a CEO, never has their own company, never, never achieves, climbs that ladder, but if that child loves Jesus and loves people, then you have done this world a great favor. We have enough stars who at their heart are corrupt. We have enough people in universities and in places of higher education all over this world who have no sense of morality whatsoever. And what they achieve is going to bring us down. But your child, that little boy, that little girl that's yours, they love Jesus and they love people and they lead one person to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. They will have done more than all the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates combined because they will have started a party among the angels. Let me tell you this. The angels are not sitting on pins and needles waiting for the next iPhone. But they are waiting on the next soul. And they're ready to pull out the streamers and the party hats and to get 
and to start the boogie. I mean, they are, they're red. They're sitting on go. And your child, your child, your child, your child, your child, your child may start the party. That's what will matter. God is not key. God is not when your child shows up at the kingdom. He is not going to say, "Okay, well, let's look at the." Oh, my, I see. Back in third grade, uh, your your bus got moved. Oh, I, I see. You got a, got an F in this particular course. God's not going to be pulling out your diplomas and your certificates and all those things that you moms have stuffed in a box under the bed. not going to be interested if it was a good child or a great child. The only thing that matters is, was he or she godly? Moms, that's your target. That's your aim. Don't lose heart. Go for it with all you've got. Protect them. Love them. Give them roots to grow. And wings to fly. And with tears in your eyes, watch them soar. Tears of joy and sorrow. Because it may mean them leaving the nest. And there can be no higher calling on the life of a boy or girl than to say, I feel led to go to Africa, to Asia, South America, and spend my life telling people about Jesus. That was probably not what you dreamed of when little Sally or little Rashid was laying in the crib. But there is nothing higher in the sight of God Nothing more noble in the sight of God than moms and dads fulfilling their eternal purpose of raising godly children who make an impact for the kingdom of God.